Welcome back to the Discovering Forestry podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Corey Lofi, alongside our friend, Mr. Arborjet Joe Aitken, here for another riveting conversation. Joe Aitken, how are you? I'm good, buddy. Good. It's always good when we get a chance to uh, talk on the podcast, um, talk about things we enjoy. Yeah, well, we made it to another week. I uh, got a big week coming up. We're heading down to Indy. Um, I'll probably be in Indy by the time this gets edited and out. I'll be back. But a lot of good things going on in this industry uh, right now. So it's kind of fun to uh, switch up a gear or two from sporting goods and trees and wood and sports, firewood, to uh, what we're going to talk about tonight. So it's kind of exciting. Yeah, and tonight's conversation is actually, it's going to be a pretty fun one. Um, we're going to have a dendrochronologist on the podcast. And if, if for those of you who went, went to school and studied arboriculture, you may, you know, recall some of your Latin would be uh, dendrochronologist. If you just think about that, uh, dendro, trees, chronos would be time, and then you have your uh, ology, which would be the study of it. So uh, without further ado, I would like to welcome to the podcast, our very own dendrochronologist, Mr. Joe Buck. Joe, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. This is uh, great to be with some fellow tree people. Well, it's, it's, it's good to have you here, Joe. And as, as we're diving into things, would you please just take a minute and let us know a little bit about you and your history in arboriculture thus far? Yeah, so... Um, I don't know if I could say, uh, for one, I'm, I want to put out there first. My big blanket caveat here is I am not an arborist. So I study trees. Uh, I could, I guess, broadly say I'm a tree scientist for the, the lay person. Um, but I am, a, or the layman, I am, uh, a dendrochronologist, um, forest ecologist, that's kind of where I fit into things. And so um, I do enjoy kind of the pure research side of things, um, but I'm not really involved in that so much as I am uh, my own commercial pursuits. Um, I tend to uh, do a lot of service for the, like one-on-one -on -one with a landowner um, or a land manager, if it's say like a a nature preserve and they're curious as to um, how are we going to manage this uh, landscape for whatever their purpose is, right? Like everybody's got their own thing. So uh, it could be for deer hunting. It could be for turkey hunting, could be for not hunting at all. Maybe it's just pure conservation and, uh, or it could just be pure fascination or curiosity. A lot of people just say, Hey, you know, we've got this family story that uh, my great, great grandfather had planted this, uh, you know, white oak tree, and it's supposed to be like 220 years old or something like that. And so it's cool to be able to lay some of those stories to rest. And it's cool to enlighten uh, people with, you know, their curiosities about trees and how old they are and things like that. Um, where'd you go to school, Joe? Yeah, uh, so I went to the University of Central Oklahoma. Um, and, and I did that kind of later. So I was in my late twenties when I did that. I have a, I have a business degree from when I kind of did the traditional graduate high school, go to college thing and, uh, and barely pass. But I, I, I can say I know a little bit about business and, uh, 
then years later, I pursued my passion of biology and um, really had no intention, no intention of doing anything with plants. Uh, honestly, I, I didn't know where I'd kind of fit in. Um, and then, man, I saw one day somebody core a tree at, who ended up being my advisor for my master program. And uh, they're at UCO as well, University of Central Oklahoma. Can't remember if I said that. I uh, can honestly say that I obviously from Detroit, Michigan State University, mm -hmm. uh, trees everywhere. I just don't see Oklahoma as this thick forested state where forestry is a big program. Yeah, no, that wrong, please. No, I, I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, so Oklahoma, I can't remember the numbers now, but it, about a third, I would say roughly a third of the state is forested. And that always shocks people. Um, so in the Oklahoma also has, it's very, very diverse in terms of biodiversity. So we, we have about 11 or so, some people may argue, you know, shave off one, add one to that uh, different, different um, eco regions. And so uh, if you start in the Southeast, it's very, very wet, um, very green. Uh, and in fact, you know, basically the, the further West you go from the Eastern boundary of Oklahoma, it just gets drier and drier and drier about midway through the state. Um, you get kind of that mix, uh, and we call that the cross timbers. So that's like my company's name is cross timbers dendro. And it's basically, um, a lot of hardwood, uh, mix it, it's it's like an oak savanna um and it's kind of this mosaic this edge uh ecotone where you get these nice post oaks and blackjack oaks and i say nice most people would say not so nice they're real gnarly trees kind of stunted um and it's basically like a big woodland and with some like big blue stem little blue stem indian grass uh real pretty you know, grassland in between. So, um, and then as you go West, yeah, yeah, you're right. There's less and less trees. And that's, that's kind of what people tend to think of is like Southern great, you know, plains, but that's really just part of the state. No, yeah. Thanks for, uh, like I, said, I, I hope there was no dis disrespect to Oklahoma whatsoever. Oh no, no, that's okay. If, yeah. in fact, if you thought it was just forested, you would have been disrespecting all the, you know, grassland people. So no, he, yeah. it's all, it's all good. It's all green. We got it. We got it. That's right. That's right. You need it all. Yeah, that's right. That's awesome. So um, you made a comment. Uh, is your, your master's, you went into a forestry program and uh, you made a comment that, wow, you're not into what, we, you know, what we do, but that was the neat thing about when Corey and I decided to cre create discovering forestry, we didn't put urban forestry because we've had a lot of foresters and smoke mm -hmm. jumps. Uh, different realms. So I think your um, dendro and chronology fits smack dab right in the middle with all of our listeners. So this is going to be, this is going to be a lot of fun. So thank you. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I agree with you. And in fact, the program I went to um, is kind of unique and it, I think it makes me, uh, I, you know, it gave me a much more, a broad appreciation for all types of forestry and all types of uh, the different niche uh, industries with that have anything to do with trees, right? Whether you're an arborist that just simply is about pruning or if you're an urban forester or, you know, or the pure forestry people or whatever it is. Um, because my, my 
my school actually doesn't have a forestry program per se. And so I basically just kind of had to carve out whatever, whatever my goals were going to be. And I'm a very big picture person. I, I like a little bit of this, a little bit of that, kind of that jack of all trades, master of none um, kind of person. And so I would get so what kind of evolved in, into my, my business that I do a little bit of um, and I always tell people I am not an arborist, but you know, I know a little bit about trees, right? Like you study trees long enough, you know, something about everything. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I love hearing tree questions and I will field any tree question and I will usually tell people that is really a good question. I'll, I'll find an arborist and let you know, <laughs> or, or I'll be able to answer it. So as a, as a dendrochronologist and you're getting hired out by maybe some of these landowners or these homeowners, mm-hmm. what are you doing? What are you actually doing? Just to describe it to, to the listening audience. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, first I'm doing what I love. I like, man, you know, like being a, a tree holds the story. A tree holds many different stories. It can tell you, you know, basically you, you look like, you know, you look at an old gnarled, you know, person maybe in their hundreds and you think, man, that person has lived, like think of the scars, think of, you know, all these things about them. And you can just tell that this person is full of stories and you love to just get whatever you can out of them. Trees are exactly the same way. And, uh, but they tell their stories through their anatomy. And so specifically through their xylem. So, when you're looking at tree rings, you know, you make a cut, whether it's a branch or, you know, the bowl, the trunk of the tree, and you're seeing all the rings, right? From the pith in the center, all the way out to the outermost, the, the latest ring, you can count those rings and roughly know about how old the tree is. Um, and that in and of itself is cool. So that's mostly what like I do is the, the clientele that I usually work with, uh, whether it's a, a museum or uh, a landowner or uh, somebody with, a, with an old cabin or, or barn that has old timbers, something like that, you know, the interest there is how old is the building? So, you, I mean, that's what I do. Um, generally speaking, that's, that's the gist of what I do is telling people how old the tree is by counting the rings. Um, and that's a generalization because there's a lot of science into it and it's not so simple. Unfortunately, you can't just count them and just say, okay, that's good enough. No, you got to have like microscopes, you got to have measuring equipment and doing all that. So there's a lot of, you know, that's kind of the legwork of it is, um, yeah, I, I'll start with the general picture, right? So it's counting the tree rings, um, being able to understand what species, it is because that's a huge thing. Not all tree rings, not all species lay down the same number of rings every year. And you gotta, you gotta kind of know the pitfalls of the business, but that's yeah. the gist. Um, kind of they're, like a, a tree historian. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, and that's, that, that's exactly how I try to, you know, think of myself as, is like, I am just the instrument to tell the story of this tree. Uh, the, I'm not really that interesting of a person, I think, but trees are super interesting to me. And i like, I really hope that I can just channel how cool trees are. And so that when somebody sees anything of me, you know, uh, that's what they're getting is the story of the tree. 
what are what are some of the more interesting stories that you've found in trees? I mean, if if I'm going back to my studies and I'm thinking about it, mm-hmm. not all rings are created equal as we've talked about. Mm-hmm. But it's my understanding that depending on what events, um, what what region, what elevation, what species, I mean, there's so many things to play. So what would be what would be like an interesting story that that you could think of off off the cuff here? Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's a great question. I, that's my favorite question because there's so many. Uh, the first one, I'll, this isn't necessarily the most interesting. Uh, it, maybe it is, but it's the first one that comes in my head. And that is just what, so my, my thesis, which is still not complete, so I'm still Joe Buck bachelor's, um, not Joe Buck with the master's, but is focused on um, how trees respond to fire and and how trees record uh, fire, historic, you know, fires on the landscape as it came through. So what is really fascinating, I think kind of the general audience would be kind of astounded to hear is that um, we have had as, as kind of different people have occupied uh, the landscape, they treat the land differently. So for instance, uh, my study site for my thesis is in central Oklahoma in this cross timbers region, right? Remember it's post oak, blackjack, some black oak, some, you know, different species too. Uh, but those are the dominant ones and then grasslands. Well, if you look at a lot of places right now, they're getting lots of woody encroachment from uh, Eastern red cedar, uh, lots of hackberry, sugarberry, elms, lot, just lots of these more, uh, you know, wetter, you know, typically wetter species, mesophytes. Well, fire would historically have wiped those trees out, you know, and what we can tell is when we go back. So here's basically what I do is we find lots of remnant wood. So these are just like stumps that have been sitting there rotting uh, or, or, or not rotting so much because they're good hardy like oaks or something. And so you find these stumps that probably died, you know, 20 years ago, 40 years, whatever it was, cut them off, um, cut them real low to the ground. I'll sand them. I'll start at like 80 grit, work my way all the way to 1200 grit. So super polished, super slick, really pretty uh, tree cross sections. We call them cookies. So you get these cookies, you measure the rings, and then you go and you look for, so, so then you have, you reliably date them. You can fit them in with a chronology of knowing exactly when the tree died, the outermost ring is all the way to the pit. So at this site in particular, there's a couple of things that stand out about trees. So here's the answer to your question. One is just how common some, in some places there are old trees and by old trees, it depends on the species again, right? Like not all trees live the same life, right? These are not bristlecone pines. These don't live for 5,000 years, but in this area, we found a lot, I found a lot of 200 plus year old trees, um, which is cool considering how long Euro Americans have, have lived there and, so speaking of your Americans, kind of the second point that's cool is um, since about the beginning of the 1900s, the U.S. put in this fire suppression policy. So we stop, stop burning, like stop all wildfires, right? Put them all out because um, fire bad. That was kind of the whole thing. Smokey the bear, right? Or Smokey bear. Um, and so what happened was kind of the normal evolved landscape this cross timbers landscape in this instance, uh, it started changing because we took fire out of the equation. 
this is an ecosystem with lots of fire tolerant species. So the, the, everything from the grasses themselves to the oaks, they are, they have this thick bark. They are made to be able to withstand the fires, but the Eastern red cedars, uh, the elms, the hackberry sugarberries, they burn up and so they die. And so you're left with just the hardy grasslands and the oaks. Well, we can see that in the tree ring. So you take that polished cross section I was telling you about, and you can see all the little fire scars on them. You can see exactly, you can even tell the season that they burned. So you can tell if this was a thunderstorm that started in the spring or something that started around this time of year. So is it dormant season? Was it right during the growing season? When did this fire occur? And what we know is that um, in, in my region, at least, the Native Americans would burn uh, more frequently to maintain the landscape, to meet their needs, whether it's the food that they're either harvesting or the, the deer or whatever it is, the bison that they're killing, um, that could be used for warfare, could be used for a lot of different things, but they burn more frequently. And, and then, you know, you have the European Americans come, the settlers, the colonizers, right? They have their own land use purposes. They clear cut, uh, they plow, they do all this stuff, right? And then you have the fire suppression policy come in. No fires on the landscape. And so you can see this, the trees are recording this history that people are not recording. And so we're, it's kind of as a dendrochronologist, your work is almost always to go back and try to tell a story that was lost to humanity. We would not have known this, you know, of course there are some oral stories, but they always can't be proved. They can't always be proved out um, unless you have some of the scientific data to go along with that helps corroborate those stories. That's, that's pretty amazing. You don't think about, you know, I think today's in today's society, we think about uh, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We don't think about, you, you made a great point that when early settlers got there and before that it was Native Americans and they all had a different. So you could actually go back 150 years on that 200 year tree and you will actually see growth patterns changed. Yeah, that's uh, right. That's, it's pretty amazing. And if, it made me think of, we had a, Michigan just had their uh, tree climbing championship in September, but we had a, our Autumn Arbor Fest, which is education before it, we had to take down this 300 year old plus red oak on Belle Isle, which is a historic park. Wow. And I would love to take that cookie and sand it down, like you said, and have you take a look at it and see what we can come up with. Um, what changed in those 300 years on that uh, mosaic wetland island in the middle of the Detroit River and where man took the island over and where the Indians still, I should say, yeah. Native Americans still had it. Just trying to be respectful, but uh, yeah. how that tree reacted to the point where after 300 years, grade has changed so much because of, um, what do we call it, Corey? Uh, paleotropism or uh, yeah. us. Yeah. The life of these big, giant, living organisms. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I, you never really think about the story it told 200 years ago. No, I, yeah, that's right. I, you know, you walk by these giants and it's real easy. Uh, you know, a 300-year-old tree, 
uh, almost regardless of species is going to be a massive tree, you know, um, at least, you know, in some regard, it's going to be often a gnarly tree, uh, depending on the species again, but we, we see that, but we, we, again, you cannot know what that tree has been through unless you read the rings, you know, or of course there's outer scars too and branches and that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, I, I get that all the time. Like people say, Hey, could I send you uh, please, please send it. I mean, it may not be a, a research thing, but it's still something that we can just real quickly say, you know, we can pull a chronology from, you know, Michigan and that, that area and compare it and say, yeah, this tree's this old and you know, this is what it's kind of looks like it's been through. It, that's and that's a key distinction that I, I really hope folks are listening to is you're talking about comparing chronologies. Mm, so mm-hmm. you're you're comparing that current core sample or the ring reading to something that you know already exists. Yes, so you're, you're kind of cross referencing. I forget what what that's called, but you're kind of cross yep. comparing. That's right. Well, we call it cross dating, um, cross reference. It yeah, it's all the same, right? Uh, kind of the terminology of the trade, I guess, is cross dating but yeah that's that that is that is the point of dendrochronology that's that's the crux of it is um you cannot get some old log building um saw the end of it off or take a core sample out of it um off some like you know floor joist or big beam or something and know how old it is you can't do it unless you have something living or a record of living trees to compare it to so the I, I always look at it. This is like two halves uh, to solving this, the issues. So first you have to have an established chronology. And what we mean by that is um, if it's a new site in an area that hasn't seen very, you know, no dendrochronology has been in this, you know, 50, depending on, you know, all landscapes are different, right. Or, you know, at a different certain level, um, 50 miles may be not a big deal. Uh, one site may be the same 50 miles down the road as another site, but it could be drastically different, especially if you're talking about sampling by a river versus sampling in an upland, you know, stand of trees. But yes, so the bottom line is we'll go out with an increment borer, um, core the trees, the living trees, mind you, um, because you know the outer date, right? If it's 2021, uh, it's no, it's November, we know what that outside ring is when we core the tree and take a, a sample all the way through. And so then when you get like around, it depends on the site, depends on the sample area, all that stuff. But if you have around 25 to 50 cores, that's going to be ample to kind of say, okay, we have now analyzed these 25 to 50 living trees. We can say for whatever certainty that this is how old, or this is a tree, tree ring width pattern that we're going to be seeing so then we can compare these old trees or these remnant wood again uh the oldest stuff to really extend the chronology back in time um where maybe living trees don't date 300 years ago like you may not find many other living uh red you know red oaks around in that michigan area maybe you will i don't know but you might find a lot of remnant wood or some remnant wood that maybe uh, maybe dates back um, starting 50 years ago, the tree died and became a stump. And then that, that stump was then 200 or 300 years old. And so we can extend the chronology as we kind of just keep going back in time, finding this. And 
So that's what we call the chronology. And then we can compare that chronology to any given sample and try to fit that date for it. So just to kind of get you all excited about this tree. So when I did my class there, you can, listeners, you can't see, but I have um, U.S. geological maps that go back to 1876 of the island. Oh, cool. Um, to 1882. Uh, 1882, they started putting roads on the island. Um, then they called it Belle Isle Park in 1917. Then in 1937 is your first actually really a topographic picture from space. Wow. So I have the date. And I, I you know what I can see as I get closer to today? I can see has the island, where the island, what area of time where the island started thinning out by all these maps. So it's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. And you know what's so cool about that is you – so tree rings can, I, I gave you the example of fire, right? Uh, it, it could be drought. Um, it could be climate. Um, if you Insects have, disease. It, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, there, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of people do work on insect outbreaks. That's right. And, uh, could be, um, you know, how, how a river has changed, you know, over time. And, and you can tell those rings get thinner and thinner as the river's moved away from it, or if the water tables kind of come up because the river's moving more towards those sides. It, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff you can do. You can tell, like you were talking about the forest thinning, you can uh, tell that there's these releases. So, you know, just like, you know, we all know if you have a lot of canopy, trees underneath are going to grow slower usually, right? The shade, they're not going to get as much, you know, light for, comp for the nutrients that they need to make. And, but when a big branch or whatever comes down that, that we either had to cut off or the wind or ice, whatever it is, you know, took the tree down or a branch, you're going to get a growth release in the tree rings. So the tree's going to grow taller. It's also growing thicker uh, at a faster rate. So year over year, you're going to see like from the time that big branch overhead came down that the smaller tree underneath is going to grow really fast. And that record is going to be kept in the ring. So we can do growth releases where we see logging events or tornadoes. Uh, some people out of uh, Oklahoma State University, there was a guy that did his uh, thesis or dissertation on tornadoes. Um, and, and uh, ring releases. Yeah, a lot of cool things that trees can reveal that, uh, yeah, you, you, don't, you don't think about on a day-to-day -day basis because we got jobs to do. But when my job, that is my job, like it's really fun because, you know, I'm really into, I can geek out over the anatomy of a, a tree cell, you know. <laughs> yeah, but, but I think in urban forestry or, or I, I like what you said earlier, urban conservation, because we don't use that two words together, urban forestry, arboriculture. Mm-hmm. And I said, I know we're wrapping up on the podcast to, to our listeners. Um, it's interesting that when we do what Corey and I do for a day-to-day -day living, which is a lot of STEM injections uh, for insect disease management, people freak the F out about you <laughs> drilling a hole in a tree. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. You're going to come skipping out in with your big Corey tool. And I, I don't, <laughs> I just... I can I know the value and I'm just I'm just stirring the pot because I know we're 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 wrapping up and I know there's so many more questions I have for you but we're gonna have to have me on again to to go over them but um, you know endocrinology God geez silviculture forest ecology I don't think we spend enough time Corey you and I bringing in these specific sciences 
And uh, Joe, this is this this is pretty amazing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. No, I, I think so. So I'm glad I'm glad that it's of some value for the podcast because, uh, yeah, you guys do great work getting it out there. So I'm I'm you know honored to be part. Well, Joe Buck, thank, thanks for coming on. Before we sign off, is there any message uh, that you want to get to people or do you want to have a plug for maybe your business at this time? Sure. Yeah. No, thanks for that opportunity. Yeah. So I would say uh, a message that I really like is, you know, right now, and I know this may be a little political and I know you probably don't want that on your podcast, but what I would say is when when you work with ancient beings you work with trees that have lived way beyond what humans can live they see things slower they react slower they their life is all about pauses and releases and it really makes me what i've learned through doing dendrochronology and working with trees and growing trees is it makes you realize this this world works on a much much slower time scale than we do and it gives me a lot of respect for the land and so having said that it makes me also give a lot of pause and consideration to the indigenous people that were here that were being the stewards the original stewards of the land and so a plug i always like to put out is let's always make sure we're giving the proper consideration in our jobs to the forebearers that were here before us. And so, you know, I urge listeners to um, dig in a little bit to their, uh, the natural history and the native history of a place. And there's a lot of insights we can, we can really garner for uh, our own careers and especially the respect for the organisms and the people we get to work with. So that's kind of my, I always like to really put a plug in for getting in there and really learning about, uh, the landscapes we work in. Um, and yeah, so now kind of a more, uh, selfish plug, I guess, for myself, uh, cross timbers dendro, um, is the, the working name. And, uh, yeah. So if you have an old barn or old tree, or you think you might hit me up and, uh, we can, we can talk and, uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank, thanks again, Joe Buck. Really appreciate having you on. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thanks, Joe. Hey, great topic today. Yes, and lots of good information. Yeah, probably one of our best yet. If you enjoyed the podcast or have topics you would like to discuss, please send them to discoveringforestry at gmail.com. And please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. Thanks, guys, uh, for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Joe. And I'm Corey. Signing, Signing out. out.